Those Space People, a podcast series of casual cosmic conversations with people working on exciting space projects. Today we have Regina Kozira with us. She is the market development manager at Planet right here in Berlin. Welcome to the podcast, Regina. Thank you for having me, Rachana. It's a pleasure to be here. First of all, what exactly does First of all, your title is very interesting, market development manager. It sounds like there's a lot on your plate. <laughs> it is indeed. It's very interdisciplinary and I think I have a like a dream job to be honest because what business development that at Planet and I think elsewhere else as well is first of all to we assess what are the new opportunities for the company to develop so in this case we investigate what are the new markets for earth observation data and then we actually engage with the key users key stakeholders in the domain and we test our products with them we pilot the products and prepare strategic proposals for in my case for the governments as i deal with the government markets in europe Okay cool that's very interesting we'll go a little bit further deeper into that but before that what was super interesting to me about your whole career trajectory is before your current role at planet you founded this company called skyvery projects it's a consulting business development company i would say that's doing a lot of other things and before that you also worked in the space applications domain so you worked with the earth observation group at the polish space research center you also been with the european gnss agency so you understood both these aspects of space applications so of course and i'm assuming that's what led you to found skyvery projects but can you elaborate on what kind of opportunities or what kind of gaps that you discovered or you observed that made you found skyvery projects my consulting company yeah it was a great adventure actually to try to combine the experience i had in the past and propose something to the market as a kind of as an independent consultant and together with people i worked with of course at that time so my ways maybe not a very typical one for the space industry because Oh, let's say actually, what is typical nowadays? I don't know because I'm not a space nerd by education. I'm a space nerd by acquisition. Let's say, <laughs> like as, as my background is like I have economic background, so I studied business and innovation management, but was just always fascinated by spatial planning, by concepts of city to zero back then maybe it's city 50 or something like that that i don't know what's official right now so it led me somehow back then maybe it was a coincidence and there are no coincidences to work at space research center to basically deal with among the researchers to be this person that coordinates the projects gets the funds to the team and manage the projects also doing the market research and education so capacity building for the users So that definitely gave me this research perspective on things and back then actually earth observation downstream applications were not very it was 12 years back they were not in practice very developed of course the, that that depends on the region of the world as well i was working in poland by, back then so it was still very much research domain topic meaning you couldn't find the big governmental contracts that that would really use it in practice we were really doing this capacity building back back then and then going to the more policy side so i started i as a continuation i went into gnss world which is together with earth observation kind of complementary in this downstream domain and i was at european 
engine assess agency responsible for market monitoring and forecasting process. So basically working with consultants from the whole Europe to assess what are the market opportunities, how the industry is developing, and what is also the cost-benefit anal- like cost for the governments to use such applications. So by combination of this, having the research, research perspective, then the policy makers perspective, as well as industry that policymakers are working with, that I started my own consulting company. And this network that I built just helped me to just work with in very different interdisciplinary projects, mostly from actually space downstream applications, but for also different users and customers. So it was both the institutional organizations like European Commission, European Space Agency, as well as consulting companies themselves and like research institutes and going to the commercial market. So I also worked with some startups to bring, help them to bring their market product on the market and so on. Long story short, (laughs) long story short, I... It led me to work at Planet at the end because Planet is a company that actually combines all of this experience I had in the past in a perfect way in my case, because Earth Observation is a space company. You still need to have a big focus on research. So basically you work with researchers a lot, you work with public institutions a lot, and you of course work with the commercial market with companies. So here is where I am today. And you asked about the gaps. Oh, sorry for maybe not being... I think in the past, these words were very much disconnected. As I said, like remote sensing was very much like research-dominated domain and not really practical. And I think what has happened on the market in the last 10 years especially is just fundamental shift from just being more like a research innovation domain to really practical applications that solve the global problems. So I think these words are finally connecting all of the dots and especially new space is changing how how the market is offering remote sensing data, which was very hard to be used in the past, which was not very accessible and expensive. That's, That's, I would say, in a very general way to say, to integrate these words of all of the practitioners, research, science, commercial domain, and of course, policymakers that are leading the... That's very interesting. And that's very interesting. And you've worked... So for the last 10 years, you've been into this whole downstream applications domain. And then you've also worked across Europe, right? You worked originally in Poland and then in Prague. And also now you're working with the different European governments in facilitating a project and leading a lot of the policy change. So... How do different countries across Europe see space or space applications differently? Is it more or less homogenous or are there any stark differences in the way these different countries approach space, be in terms of technology or research spendings or policy or any other aspect? I think actually space is having its time right now. The budgets, I think, are higher than any time else in the history because there is there are two fundamental global shifts. So first of all, the sustainability shift and second of all, digitalization. So with these two macro trends, you call them, or simply transformation that we need to go through, just it's finally recognized that space is the answer to this problem or it can help many of the problems. Of course, it is not very homogeneous between regions, how they make decisions, what budgets they have, and what is the their kind of space maturity right, as comes to infrastructure and capacity to even use it in in different countries. But what is, I think, getting kind of 
like universal, I hope I could say that is that this recognition that we don't really talk about lights and really details in our conversations. We really talk about problems, what it can bring to the government. And I think the climate change that is alarming issue, security, of course, issues that are like, I think never were in our part of the world for a long time, it's the first time that it's really alarming what's going on in this part of the world with the war in Ukraine, for example. And also, like just global trends that have really local impacts on our personal life, food security, soil degradation and desertification, water quality and accessibility and so on. These are things that are just very universal and it's just there is no choice. I would say. Mm-hmm. Of course, it is when we talk about the budgets, there are absolutely different budgets when you talk with, uh, I don't know, government in Poland or UK or Germany. But still, I think the what is nice that there is a need for change and satellite data is just a fundamental basis for mm-hmm. making decisions. So I hope it will not be so different in the future, just for as it comes to who's using the data. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely understand that because a lot of times when people from the space sector are talking, we focus a little too much perhaps on the technology aspects of things. And then we often ignore the end users who at the end of the day don't really care about how big your satellite is or what's the power consumption or I don't know what's the probably a little bit about data security, but that's about it. They don't really care about any of the design aspects, only how often they're getting the data, what kind of data And what's the coverage? Yeah, that's true. And that's, I believe that's why we need to get more and more people and draw more and more non-space people, the actual users into these conversations and involve them in these conversations. Absolutely. And I think, especially in the downstream world, this space, non-space is a very blurry division right now, because when we look at the service providers that are delivering solutions, they use the best data possible, and it's not always space data, that needs to be always combined to have the full picture and the deep analysis. So, of course, space data is fantastic for, and as I said, fundamental to have the basis for decisions. However, it needs to be complemented for many yeah. use cases with local data, with ground truth data, with airborne, and even the local like data. I think this data integration is definitely something that everyone is talking about right now. And practically, there are still some challenges, right? Like how to implement it. But I think in the future, we will just not differentiate between space data and any other. It's just data. It provides information. Exactly. It's part of the national infrastructures, essentially. Absolutely, yes. Another aspect of this is there is lots of data and more and more data. So if I would say what is very interesting in my job is to understand the processes, what the data, what is, what is the process for decision makers between data, information, knowledge, and simply decision at the end. The data is a fundamental basis, like science proof for, for decisions. However, decision making is much more complicated than just having facts. <laughs> it, it's much more complicated. And it's also many cultural differences. Even culture has a big impact on how some governments make a decision and so on. So it's a fascinating conversations we have on a daily basis with different stakeholders. That sounds very interesting. Are there any examples that you can share? I think I, I cannot give you like from real life a certain government or something, yeah. but just to have when you have this pyramid of let's say you can even compare it with the value chain of right observation market that there are providers of just data you have this like the images words 1000 words uh, mm-hmm. 
great. But okay, the fact that you have this data, is it already information? Not necessarily, because in earth observation worlds, we need to add another layer of analysis. Okay, what does it mean really? which builds some kind of knowledge and understanding what is going on our planet in this case. And then decision-making is a different set set of different things. So first of all, you have this facts or knowledge or information here, but then you also have people behind it. You have processes, you have other technologies, and you have culture simply that also affects a lot. And this is all packaged also in the political, <laughs> of course, aspects that are very important for, let's say, big governmental players, how they make decisions and what's what are the priorities. So, yeah, that's, that's something that for sure, like you could brainstorm how you discuss something with, with governments in different parts of the world. Okay. Wow. That's, that, I'm pretty sure your job must be so fun, so <laughs> multicultural, so multicultural. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. And we live in Berlin, planet is in Berlin. Yeah. So talking about multicultural environment, it's a perfect place to be because it attracts a lot of talent and people from the different backgrounds and so on. So it's really a, a great, as a great environment and very supportive and flat hierarchy because <laughs> you just hierarchy is old school <laughs> no one does it anymore <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely have you having been also in the startup space and especially in the space sector in the startup space or these new company space of course planet is not really a startup anymore it's a huge company <laughs> but with the vibes very flat and it's very friendly and very very i don't want to say silicon valley but nice aspects of silicon valley <laughs> Yeah, it's a very, like, I'm really, I feel very privileged to work with people with so many backgrounds, experiences, and absolutely smart people from around the world. So it's, I highly recommend we are looking for more people and developing. So please, <laughs> please follow up on our, on our job offer offerings. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure Planet is a fantastic place to work. So what can you talk about your, your fellow, your colleagues or your fellow market development managers? What kind of backgrounds do they come from? Do they also have an economics or a policy or a similar background to you? I think it's very actually different depending on the people. So first of all, we have also a science team. So mm -hmm. these are the people that usually are scientists by education and had experience also with just basically working in research. So that's very key. We have a big education research program that is also run by business development at Planet. It is a first step for our business, actually, the connection with the research world and just to test what's possible. So these people are more like technical scientists and, or, and so on. However, when we talk already about talking with the governments and different markets, regional, so there are people that are both from with business background and having experience working with big industrial like corporations, but also people that are, for example, aerospace engineers. Education here is very flexible for business development, depending on what you will be doing. What for sure is very common for us is this motivation to work for, like to understand planet, because it's sometimes when you come from traditional corporate world might be not the place for you if, mm -hmm. if you are not, <laughs> if you're not used to being very dynamic, being very like all the time, you need to be adapted to change. And then, and then I think we are very motivated by the mission of Planet. So simply, our mission is to change the world for a better place. However naive that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always a very noble intention. Yeah. 
And circling back a little bit more discovery, so your previous companies, you no longer, now you're, now that you're part of planet, you're not really working on Skyvery anymore, but could you talk about what kind of work Skyvery was doing when you'd founded it? I, so what, what was the concept behind Skyvery is to bring exactly this experience of working with research and technical people and environment and bringing it to the market. So that's re- that contained actually a lot of different kind of aspects. First of all, for the institutional organizations like European Commission, European Space Agency, that meant creating strategies for the certain markets or certain technologies, creating cost-benefit analysis for them. So basically combining the market knowledge and analysis with synthesis and recommendation, what could be the way forward to decide about certain policies or budgets. Then for the for the startups, it, for example, meant creating strategy, product strategy, development, and also rising strategy, meaning also preparation of you know, like value proposition, analysis, and pitching it to funders. So both investors as well as public grants or support that startups also get. So that would be in a nutshell the, the summary of my activities in the in the time before Planet. That's very interesting. interesting. So it was more like alongside being a consult, consulting company and a business development company, it was also more, I don't know, like an incubator or an accelerator for for startups as well. Yes, absolutely. To just yeah connect again the dots of where what is your place in the value chain, what will be the best for the users, also consultations with the different users of certain applications, and then creating a strategy for okay how to go forward. What is how can you develop your business basically? Whether it should be first still focus on more research and maybe grants before you get more mature to the with your mfp right for the product or or already going to the market and just trying to create the best value proposition for the users okay that's that's very interesting but in in the current scenario right so where more and more companies are getting more and more vertically integrated like planet who was one of the uh, spear leader, spear leaders in who was one of the leaders in spearheading this whole vertical integration with having their own in-house teams for everything from policy to business development to sales to everything else, and also the rise of a lot of these incubators and accelerators targeted specifically at startups. So, given this scenario, is there still any business case for companies like Skyvery in the current world, in the current times? I think actually more and more because seeing how the space sector is developing and startup ecosystem is getting much bigger in space than in the past, there is always a need for support of the startups and guiding them and leading and just bringing the expertise that they just don't have in-house. So definitely, yes, I think it's even more than in the past. Okay, wow, that's very good to know. So what kind of, so let's say if someone wanted to start a venture or a, or a company like Skyvery, what kind of skill set do they require? What kind of advanced degrees or what kind of team do they need to kickstart something like this? I think there are two ways, I guess, when you start a business, how you can go forward. I think first, you can have an excellent idea what you can bring to the market, and then you can infect the investors or someone, you know, that could fund your work to, to just develop yourself. So starting from this thing of that, you don't really have customers yet, but you, 
it, it, you are aspiring to have very soon. And then the second way is that you already have a customer or someone that you know wa- wants to work with you already. And then this is also a motivation to just develop your company. I was very lucky to have the second option, the second scenario, which gave me a luxury to just simply focus on development and my work without the stress of, okay, how to pay the bills and salaries and things like this. So that's, that's, that's maybe not typical, but yeah. For startup world, it's not an easy task, of course, because there are so many, as I said, startups, the competition is growing. And I think statistically 15% of them survive longer than, than a few years. So of course, but I think it's always a big learning experience to have something on your own. And also learning experience might be that this is not for you. And it's better that you work for a company and have more stability and work for a big organization. Okay, that's, yeah. Yeah, of course, organic growth definitely beats. I, I wouldn't say beat, but yeah, organic growth is extremely sustainable. And yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful way to actually see your, to be validated in the market, I would say. Yeah. And I think like Planet, I had my own company for five years. So when I got a job offer at Planet, I was really hesitating because once you are (laughs) already working for five years independently and you suddenly you need to adapt to the culture, the structures and the style of work. So it was not an easy task to just close it and and just devote to Planet. But at the same time, like Planet, it really combines everything that I was at least looking for. So it was a very easy process. It was very also organic process for me to decide, okay, I just want to work full time for them because it's very unique to work for a company that is, first of all, really has a mission and is very devoted to the mission, to especially for, as it comes to sustainability and just having a very ethical standards, how to work with the market customers and where change and impact is very important. And at the same, observing this sudden growth of Planet, that is super exciting from the commercial perspective. When I joined the company, it was, I think, around 300 people three years ago and today it's more than 800 and still growing (laughs) so it's a great journey of observing all of the changes and fantastic developments that are now enabled by this growth wow i didn't know planet berlin had 800 people that is global it's global 800 i think berlin when i joined was was around 100 and it's now doubled almost and also growing very much our European presence yeah I'm yeah even globally 800 I think is a big number wow yeah we are not a startup anymore this is a big (laughs) change and in in winter last year we became a public company so yeah yeah we are also this the public benefit corporation which is also a kind of new term which people don't understand often it's we are a corporation so we are for-profit company however this public benefit means that this is our mission to actually deliver something for to, to support the global changes in a positive way. Cool, cool. That's, that's so cool. I love it how we're all now sustainability, probably five or 10 years ago, people weren't really talking about sustainability, but now we are all much more aware, much more responsible, much putting in more efforts, striving towards sustainability. And that's really fantastic. Yeah. And it's really important that companies as big as Planet, as important as Planet, should really take it upon themselves. That's really great. So yeah, talking a little bit more about the Earth observation market, right? So there are 
we all know there's more and more constellations being announced every other day and so what kind of scope do you think is there first of all is there a need to have more and more imaging constellations is there a gap in data or is there a gap in the kind of bands the kind of resolution we need or do we need more revisit time do we need just better imagery so is there really a need for having more and more constellations That's that's a very good question and we also ask ourselves that a lot at Planet. Definitely there is a need for data and there are a lot of data gaps in the market. The question is how we can complement each other and not create something that someone else already has because I would say creating something just for price competition and making a lot of new satellites just to make space debris at the end it's not the way forward i would imagine that's something that maybe it's not very useful however of course there are a lot of sensors and a lot of kind of uh, like applications that were not mainstreamed yet because there were not there are problems with there were in the past at least the problems with capacity of the satellites and accessibility yeah definitely it's very exciting what's going on one thing is of course what are also the plans the other thing is like who will be successful and who can really one thing is like to build satellites and launch them the other thing is like how to create sustainable services and very reliable trustful just product for the users that they can use in their workflows and so on so that's that's exciting times also ahead of us and i guess as i said i would be more a fan of working together and complementing each other than creating something that already exists Hmm. Okay, that's that's very interesting. And speaking of the I don't know the satcom, let's say, right? So earth observation, yes, there's a lot of gaps, but speaking of satcom, is it what's your take on the whole satcom market? Do you think it's more of a winner takes all kind of a play or is there scope or is, is there space for several players to be operating in the satcom game? I'm actually not as specialized in in satcom. I just observe it more from a kind of consumer point of view than being an insider. Definitely satcoms they were always this satellites and this market was always somehow separate from earth observation in GNSS yeah. because it was commercial from the beginning. Yeah. So in this way our awards were not really even speaking at the same conferences a lot just because they were going already to the customers. It's also very much changing in our world that like earth observation and GNSS companies and so on they are more going to the more applications so just problems that's problems discussions and not really technology focused i don't know i know that for example there are the most satellites in the that are flying above us are actually digital communication mm -hmm. satellites right now so the question is yeah what is the, the limit i cannot give you and just a ready answer for this <laughs> yeah no no worries it was a long shot because i know you're more familiar with the earth observation and the gnss sectors so speaking of the gnss as well so we of course on the upstream side of things gnss we have the galileo constellation we have we also have the gps and access to like glonass and a couple of there are several of these gnss constellations across the world um but what are the challenges in finding the right applications for this because on the face of it it just looks like anything moving put a chip on it and get the location right that's essentially the use case of gns but are there any new use cases you think can be developed or to be explored or what's really the scope in this downstream segment 
I think something that comes from our work again in these divisions between technologies is that GNSS, it, it is thanks to GPS, right? At the beginning, it's in every phone right now. It's, as you said, in all of the devices that we are now having, your smartwatch and so on. So it is definitely getting the, its mainstream consumer reach out right now. And so the applications are, of course, unlimited. What I think is, again, an interesting factor here is this data integration. So, for example, combining GNSS and earth observation, it's not an obvious thing and it still doesn't exist in practice so much. Knowing also how the sensors, how you can process the signal and make it stream it in your application. Earth observation is something completely different from GNSS. You need much more expertise and deeper dive into the data and processing. So it's not that you automatically stream it from the satellites, almost like GNSS does. So I think the future, I would say, is something to combine both worlds much more, to have the maps or images that will be much more frequently updated to right now together with the geolocation. That's, that's something that I would expect to expand to new segments and verticals. So just to give you some, I don't know, some consumer applications, there are so many. Just I recommend GSA or USPI is still publishing this Genesis market report and technology report that is a good mm-hmm. overview of the new trends for the time being. And I'm for sure can give you an, a many examples from art observation right now. As <laughs> this is my daily basis work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll definitely check this report out. It's I'm very surprised because, of course, I've never really worked much in the downstream side of things. But as somebody who just works on the upstream, knows a little bit, I've always thought, take a satellite image. Because as part of the post-production, there's something that they call, they there's something they do called geotagging. Just geotag mm-hmm. an image. And I thought, hey, there's an image, there's a lat long, and you're done. I never thought it's such a big of a problem and such a big of a technology gap. To integrate both of these? It is, I think, about the frequency. It is not a problem to integrate both, but it's about mm-hmm. where from where your data is coming from. So if we want to just really have updated overview of, of what's going on around you, much more frequently updated imagery is the answer. If you, lo- you use right now, I don't know, Google Maps probably is the most popular application. It's still like from a few years back, most most often the image you are having on the map, the representation. Having this updates really enables many more applications and decision-making for the policymakers because at the end, what you want to have is really understanding what's going on on land and what is the land use and land change. The change is a fundamental word here because without the frequently updated data, you will not understand it. So that's why having this frequent updates, it, it is already possible. Like Planet is a global daily provider, meaning you can stream your data on near daily basis, of course, limited by clouds. But this is something that really is now possible, but not very obvious in the past when it it mm. wasn't available. And still, earth observation data requires much more deeper technical involvement. However, we want to change this because you can you a big trend or big discussions when you discuss the technical issues is the analysis ready data. What does it mean that? In the past, this data, you were just getting some blurry image from the satellites and you didn't know what to do with this in the past. There were certain people that knew, of course, always, but it was more like a very exclusive word. And then when you 
analyze yet what on what to process the data and have a usable image or let's say already the information layer on what you spend most of the time like 80% of time you actually spend on data harmonization data cleaning integration of the data and so on so making it like clean and easy to be combined so what actually planet does and this is in our product already is like we are making this 80% a kind of remove from the workflows of our customers to be like really specialists on like providing the data that is very easy to be used and streamed in your workflows. So it is possible. However, of course, it took us a long time to get there as well. So this expert knowledge is becoming now much more mass, like for masses. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. So what kind of skill set and what kind of advanced degrees, if any, are required to pursue, let's say, your line of work? As I said, I think it's a lot of, about motivation and <laughs> and interest in, in this because it really requires a very diverse and interdisciplinary skill set. Of course, engineers is something that, that is absolutely the majority of work for workflows of planet, at least, and I think of any space company. But I think what is not very obvious is that we are shifting from this traditional aerospace engineers that, of course, are still needed. But what is getting much more, it comes with at least the need and demand for people, is definitely development and simply programmers that are not necessarily coming from the space world at all. So as far as I know, it's not only Planet, but other space companies around, like most of the job offers are for actually developed. So definitely this is the skill set that is very much needed right now. But for my field, when we talk about business development, as I said, it can be anything, but you need to feel what it means to connect the product with the market and what it means to provide like concept proposals that would combine both the policy side, the market, so let's say the technological response, the needs, the workflows and the commercial world. Okay, that's very wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if young professionals or space enthusiasts want to personally get in touch with you, what's the best way to... I'm on LinkedIn, of course. I'm happy to, to connect and exchange with people. Don't hesitate to write to me if you need any advice or questions and... Uh, yeah, it's it's always a great thing to to just talk with young people. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I completely agree with you on that. And thank you, Regina. Thanks, thank you so much for all these amazing insights. It's been a really nice conversation, and it's always interesting to look at space from somebody not always from somebody not from not a technical perspective because you offer these kind of insights the business insights and the policy insights and all these are very interesting so thanks for your time and thanks for being on the podcast the pleasure is all mine thank you so much for this for this exchange it was i even didn't notice that the time passed already so much